I wonder if you've ever had the feeling of being got at. Before I was ordained, I worshipped at a URC church in Brighton. And being a lay preacher, I was quite often asked to lead worship there, particularly as we shared our minister with another church. Two occasions spring to mind. The first was when we were looking at the Ten Commandments, and we took one commandment each week over a period of ten weeks. And the one I got landed with, do not commit adultery. And then a short while after that, we spent some time going through the story of uh, Joseph. My part, Genesis chapter 39. Now, for those of you who are not overly conversant with the story of Joseph, that is the chapter where Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph. So I have to confess that these memories did come flooding back with something of a vengeance when Mike rang to ask if I would be willing to look at the words from verse 16 of our reading that we had from James. Confess your sins to each other. And no, it wouldn't necessarily be the first subject I would choose to preach on. But it does us no harm and probably a lot of good to have to wrestle with something that we wouldn't automatically choose to think about. Now, maybe this lack of willingness is part of my nonconformist upbringing. We don't really go in for confession in the way that seems to be suggested here by James. Oh, we have prayers of confession, um, and that's very often led by the worship leader, and those are quite normally followed by a prayer of absolution, to use the theological term. And many, if not all, will in their own prayer time Remember with sorrow those things which we have done, and we will ask God for forgiveness. But confess your sins to each other. Now, for some, that might smack of popery, doing a penance and possibly even indulgences. And yet here we have James telling the readers of his letter, and so friends, that includes us, to confess their sins to each other. James wrote his letter somewhere in the mid-40s AD. And although there is some uncertainty as to who the author is, there is a general consensus that it is James, the brother of Jesus. But whoever he was, he was writing to a group of Jewish Christians who met together and who practiced their faith together. And unlike many of Paul's letters, James is not setting out to address a particular issue or issues. This letter is more like a collection of wisdom sayings or or sound advice. And in the verses that we've just had read, James touches on a number of aspects of the life of the gathered community. And it gives us a kind of a snapshot of what the early church was like. James reminds them that they are not called to destroy, but to build up the common identity. The community was to be one where praise was found. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. And the church has always been a singing church, a place where building up and a place where sharing in each other's joys was important. A place which remembers the infinite love of God and enjoys a present glory. James encourages the members to pray for one another as well as for themselves. The church has always and should always be a place of prayer, a 
As Tennyson wrote, more things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. God is the one who brings healing and wholeness. So the elders of the church are to gather at the bed of a sick person to pray for that person, to anoint them with oil. And praying for the sick and the needy was not the only expression of seeking the wholeness of the church. There's a very early church code that was laid down that said that each congregation must appoint at least one widow to take care of the women within that congregation who were sick. A practical demonstration of God's love and care. And then James tells them that they are to confess their sins to each other and to engage in mutual correction. Now today we do not make the same connection between suffering and sin as is implied in this letter or indeed in other places in scripture. But it still remains true that people cannot truly know full health of body, mind or soul until they are right with God. So what does all this mean for us today? And specifically that phrase, confess your sins to each other. Are we to read James's letter and to interpret it as a call to introduce the confessional? Does it mean we are to consider the early Methodist classes system where groups of people met together to study the Bible and to confess their sins to one another within that group? I'm not entirely convinced of either interpretation, although both are not without their merits. However, I do believe James is calling us to a mutual accountability. Because whatever our churchmanship, it still remains a fact that sin, whether it was something we had on our number line or something more, quote, serious, sin still creates a barrier between us and God and creates a barrier between us and other people. And the local community of God's people will not grow in their faith or grow numerically if these barriers are not dealt with. We would, of course, be foolish in the extreme if we thought that all barriers could be effectively dealt with once and for all. We are all flawed human beings, and as such, we'll repeat the hasty, angry words the thoughtless, careless actions that hurt and wound other people. But the desire to deal with those barriers, however many times they occur, has to be there. For some, it may seem easier to confess our sins to God rather than to each other. So we might, in our private prayer time, remember those things that would have been left, better left undone or unsaid, And we might remember the inaction and wish that things had been different. We might even form a coherent prayer of confession in our heads. I would suggest, however, that speaking the words out loud can be more difficult. Last Tuesday, the Bible reading notes that I use suggested using a prayer from the Orthodox tradition as a way to prepare um, Uh, the the Bible reading time. 
As I breathed in, I was to say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. And as I breathed out, I was to say, have mercy on me, a sinner. I actually found it quite difficult to say those words out loud. I guess there could be a whole number of reasons. Unfamiliarity with the prayer, the phraseology, not liking the sound of my own voice, although those who know me will doubt that. I think at least in part, it was having to say out loud so that I could hear that I was a sinner. Now, perhaps this is just a problem I have, but I suspect I'm probably not alone. Generally, we don't like admitting we are wrong. So the thoughts in our head are one thing, verbalising them can be quite a different matter. And it seems to me that the, uh, the Elton John song I referred to earlier echoes the thoughts of many. Sorrow, sorry seems to be the hardest word. So if it can be difficult acknowledging our sins before God, how much more before other people who we can see, who we can hear a response from, who we have to live alongside day by day in a very obvious and visible way? This being so, the case uh, about being obedient to James' words needs to be done in a way that is helpful And affirming. Any confessing needs to be done in a place of trust, love, and mutual respect. At the school where I work, my class teacher always has what's on top as part of the daily timetable. So the children sit in a circle and a teddy is passed round the circle to each child. And as each pupil takes hold of the bear, the teacher asks them, what's on top? The idea is that the child can share the thing that is uppermost in their mind. Now, most of the time, it's things like I'm looking forward to going to Beavers this evening or having my friends over for a sleepover or it's my birthday tomorrow. Just occasionally, we'll get something like, oh, my pet cat is ill or my goldfish has died. And once a child spoke about their grandfather dying. But the important thing about what's on top is not so much what he said, but the rules that go with it. You can only speak when you're holding the teddy bear. And whatever is said is not spoken about outside of the classroom. This kind of exercise only works when everyone involved trusts and respects everyone else. So for us... Confessing our sins to each other might happen between prayer partners or within a prayer triplet. It might happen in a house group where each member trusts and respects every other member. It might happen within the context of a support group of some sort. And it might happen between Christian friends. However it happens, it should be done so that the fellowship is built up so that individuals are encouraged to grow in their faith. It is not about metaphorically beating the sinner about the head and telling them how bad they are. Rather, I would suggest the approach should be similar to that of Jesus, 
when the woman caught in adultery was brought before him. He didn't condone her sin, but he did give her back her self-worth and encourage her to begin again. We also need to note that almost invariably when sin has happened, there are two relationships that need restoring. The relationship between the sinner and the one sinned against, and the relationship between the sinner and God. Where a lack of forgiveness remains, there also remains a barrier between people and between individuals and God. It may only start as a small thing, something seemingly insignificant. No, I'm not going to tidy my bedroom. But, but left unchecked, it can fester and it can grow. As it grows, it becomes harder and harder to say sorry and seek forgiveness. As that happens, as the barriers grow, communities can become divided, faith is not built up, and our relationship with God is weakened. Confess your sins to each other, something that can build up the life of the community. Encourage praying with one another and ensure a right relationship with God. Confession can also bring about wholeness of body, mind and spirit and can be a help in dealing with some of the dis-ease that people suffer. Individuals and communities will have to discern for themselves how God is calling them to put that into practice But when done in a spirit of trust, love and mutual respect, it can only be for the benefit of all. Now, friends, I'm not about to stand here and tell you, either as individuals or as a congregation, exactly what you must do. But I would encourage you to consider again the call of James to confess your sins to each other. And in doing so, Each one here will become part of the building up of God's kingdom in this place.